Presbyopia Unlocked is an editorially independent podcast supported with advertising by Allergan. Innovative new treatment modalities will change the landscape of presbyopia treatment for eye care providers across the United States. Experts discuss how they plan to navigate those changes in this episode of Presbyopia Unlocked. Hi, everyone. Welcome. My name is Neda Shami. I am a cornea refractive and cataract surgeon practicing in Los Angeles at the Maloney Shami Vision Institute. I am truly uh, delighted to be here talking to you about a topic that's quite a hot topic. It always has been, but it's become either even uh, hotter in the recent past. Um, I'm also really excited to have uh, three wonderful colleagues who are true experts in the field. I have Dr. Jonathan Solomon from Solomon Eye in Maryland, who has been a friend and a colleague. We've uh, really kind of grown in this uh, field of ophthalmology together, have spent a lot of time at podiums together discussing uh, surgical treatments as, as well as non-surgical treatment of presbyopia. So this is uh, fantastic having you here, John. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for having me, Netta. Of course. And I have Dr. Melissa Barnett from UC Davis, uh, who is also has been uh, really uh, prolific on this topic and many others. Um, and many of you may have heard her have fantastic discussions uh, around uh, eye care. Um, thank you, Melissa, for being with us. Thank you so much. And then finally, we have Dr. Bobby Sines from Parkhurst uh, New Vision in Texas, who again has a lot of experience and can uh, will no doubt add a lot to our discussion today. Thank you so much, Bobby, for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This uh, let me give you a little brief background on how Presbyopia Unlocked evolved uh, has evolved over the last uh, several years. Uh, I actually was involved with it last year. And uh, in the past, most of the focus had been on surgical treatment. So Presbyopia Unlock was primarily a surgical and IOL-focused program last year. I'm really excited about how much innovation is occurring and the fact that we'll have new therapeutic options for our patients in the next few years. This will really change patients' lives. It'll change our lives as uh, uh, treating uh, physicians for patients who are going through uh, presbyopia um, and will most definitely add new treatment modalities and options, especially in the early and moderate stages of this aging condition. Um, it'll also change how eye care physicians will practice and serve their patient needs uh, before surgical treatments may uh, become indicated. So um, as a short overview of presbyopia, we know that if we're lucky enough uh, to live long enough, uh, we will all develop presbyopia. I myself, I'm right at that uh, juncture, and I can tell you um, it's not easy. Um, John will pretend to be 10 years younger than I am, but I'm sure, John, you're, you're definitely presbyopic. I've seen you tr struggle with those arm, uh, your arm length uh, there, even though you have pretty long arms. Uh, how, are you being affected by it too? I, I certainly am, and it, it is very challenging. I, I'm picking up my first pair of reading glasses actually this week, so you pick. You caught me at a great time. Yes, I caught you there. You can't no more pretending anymore. You've now announced it on a podcast here. That's right. Can't hide it. So we know two billion people are affected globally. 
Uh, obviously, millions of Americans are affected, as, you, as, as I mentioned. If you're, if you're old enough, you will have it. It's part of a rite of passage. Um, and many are buying readers at the drugstores. So they're bypassing their eye care physicians and going right to drug door, uh, drugstore um, over-the-counter readers. Um, so as a surgical practice, I, I'm seeing uh, this in, in a different light than a primary eye care uh, specialist. So John, can you share with me uh, what's the proportion of patients you're seeing right now that are suffering from presbyopia? I know you have a very, very busy surgical practice, but how does it present to your practice? Well, thank you, Ned. I think it's, it's, a, it's a great question for all of us to be thinking about uh, as part of eye care globally. The, the numbers really are staggering when you consider it. In the U.S., I think we're looking at roughly 36% of the population is, is presbyopic, and, and you're talking about you know, nearly 130 million people. So it's not a, a, a small number of individuals that are affected. Uh, and in large part, my practice is bimodal. So we'll see the younger patients coming in simply for refractive surgery. And then we'll get the patients that are pushing into the presbyopics uh, uh, age group. And then, of course, the cataract age group. So it's a large part of what I do every day. Yeah, and I agree with you. And 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 what's happened is that that middle group is the toughest one to to manage because there's somewhere between, uh, as you said, you know, the point where LASIK could give them excellent vision at at, at all distances, and uh, where they may have some lenticular changes where lenticular based surgery could be indicated. And I find that I kind of dread having that discussion around presbyopia with that 40-some-year-old patient who comes in hoping for some solution. They may be emetropic or they may have had LASIK before, invested in their distant vision, and now they're developing difficulty with reading. And there's really, there hadn't been and there hasn't been uh, up until recently any really fantastic options. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about some of the things in the pipeline and what's really exciting in this world of, of presbyopia uh, that will really change the way we manage our patients. If I can ask Melissa and Bobby, how, how do you as primary eye care providers, uh, uh, how do you uh, face this and, and what kind of uh, behavioral and clinical symptoms of presbyopia present in, in your practice? Lynette, these are great discussions. And just like John on a day-to-day basis, many of my patients have presbyopia. And I agree. When I'm talking about the middle of the range, the early presbyopes, we're all on digital devices so much. It's having that conversation early. And in my practice, I've learned over the last few years is I'm discussing presbyopia with patients in their 30s and even in their 20s. And you might say, why in the world are you doing that? And that's because my college students who are in their 20s, their parents are becoming presbyopic for the first time. And so they're understanding that this is something that is an age-related process that they're going to expect. But to answer your questions, you know, what are the behaviors and symptoms of presbyopia? There are so many of them, uh, and one being denial where patients just are not ready to accept presbyopia. So they're doing all sorts of things uh, to avoid it, increasing the fonts on their phone, increasing the lighting, going outside to read, or even just not reading like they used to because they reading for fun or, or pleasure because they can just avoid it being becoming presbyopic. Yeah, that's for denial is, is for sure. I've, I've, I've been denying it for, for, for a while myself, but I think, 
I think it also is a reflection of the um, uh, of the youthful nature of, of of our generation and the previous generation uh, and the younger generation, where um, we're just trying to hold on to that um, younger uh, sense of being and the youthfulness that 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 is slowly drifting away. Um, it's the generation of Botox, right? And so, um, and I think denial is is been really strong. So to have solutions that are effective, non-surgical, non-invasive, it, it is going to be a game changer. How about you, Bobby? What kind of um, issues are you facing with presbyopia? Are you seeing more and more of it? Uh, is denial an issue in your practice too? Yeah, I, I'm just like sitting here like chuckling, just thinking about anytime any of us have to go in and see a minus three 49 year old who's wears glasses for distance and says like, I can take them off to see up close, but I put them on, I can see far away, but then I can't see up close. Then I have to take my glasses off and you're just like shaking your head and it's just like, oh gosh, or, or even talking about that Plano presbyopic patient who's in their fifties and losing the ability to zoom in up close and they don't understand it. And there's not really a lot of education on this. So, you know, you get to see patients like figuring this out, holding things further away, you know, getting lots of light, um, you know, putting their light, you know, you see, you know, you go into a dim restaurant back when that was a thing when you could go to a restaurant and, you know, you turn on, you see a bunch of people turning on their flashlight and then, you know, maybe one of their friends tells them, oh, get reading glasses. Um, I, I think we, we see all of those uh, struggles on a day-to-day basis and, and why, you know, at least in our clinic, you know, patients come in thinking that LASIK um, can just fix all of their problems. And I, and I think, you know, that's one of the challenges is, is how do we simplify presbyopia? How do we educate on pro- presbyopia? Because that will, that will help us, you know, now with newer um, treatments um, being available within these past few years and even on the horizon, it's a definitely an exciting time. I think you 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 uh, opened the the next uh, discussion point. That is exactly what I wanted to ask you: is your thoughts on new treatment options on the horizon, and what you think will be um, a real game ch- changer, and where it, you think it'll fit in your practice? Yeah, I, I think back to like my residency when I was doing like a cataract evaluation, and and I remember this patient had like three doctors of astigmatism. And I remember going to the surgeon who I was doing my residency with and being like, okay, this patient wants to see far away and up close and they have astigmatism. And he's like, unfortunately, there's nothing that we can really do for them unless we try to give them monovision. I remember just being like, so in shock, like what, how do we not have an option for astigmatism and presbyopia? Um, and obviously we've seen, you know, since what, 2016, 2017, now we, now we have an option for those patients. And even, you know, if we talk about kind of, if we had to big picture it, you know, we, We've had, you know, the, the corneal surgery way to basically correct presbyopia with something like LASIK. And then even, you know, overseas, they have a little bit fewer, more options. But at least here in the U.S., I think the biggest thing for us, or at least in our practice, has been these lens-based surgery, right? Now having the ability to have trifocals and correct astigmatism, um, you know, my, at least, and for presbyopia, I got to experience that with my mom. Um, and when the trifocal became available, which now you have a lens that can correct distance, intermediate, and up close vision. That's really been a big game changer for our practice with regards to simplifying education. So I think the, the lens-based surgery has been really exciting. And I think now that we're seeing, you know, we were part of the uh, clinical trials for some of these uh, presbyopic drops uh, and seeing just the results there um, and now seeing that those results have been submitted, you know, at the end of last year, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what role presbyopic drops have in our practices. You know, I think that maybe some people are a little bit, maybe like as an optometrist, you might be scared. Oh my gosh, 
we're not going to have any more like patients to see. And, and I think that, I don't know that it's going to eliminate presbyopia entirely, but I think it'll be a good adjunct to the solutions that we're already using, whether that be glasses, contacts, corneal surgery, or lens-based surgery. I, I think it's going to be a really exciting time because we're going to have more tools in our toolboxes um, to treat these patients. I absolutely agree with you. I think it's going to be complementary to the other tools that we have. And there is, and, and we've all mentioned and noted that, that area of gap, They're the age group of patients that fall in that early presbyopia where we really don't have any good solutions. And I find myself often telling them, you know, just wait until your lens changes and we can then more safely uh, perform lens-based surgery. Or I try to convince them to hold off until the drops become available, you know. And and just as an example, and John, I think, can can relate to this, and you can share your patient, a um, couple of patient examples too, if you'd like. But I had a patient just last week uh, who had had LASIK uh, with me about 10 years ago and c- came in, you know, in her now early 40s um, and is now having early presbyopia and and wanting to have LASIK. Now, she's emetropic. She's 20-20 at distance still. Um, and is struggling. And so I told her, well, you know, I could do what we would, what we would do for these patients often, uh, up until recently was to do PRK and, and, you know, trial monovision. And if they can tolerate it, do PRK, um, on the one eye and, 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 and shift them to a monovision, but the outcome has never been really fantastic and it is quite invasive. And how long, how much time can we buy for, for this patient? And how much depth of perception can we give them? What kind of monovision should we target? You know, their needs will change over the next, next several years when their presbyopia becomes more intense. And so I, you know, now I find myself this last actually six months to a year, I've been telling patients, you know, t- telling them about presbyopia drops and telling them hold off. Uh, let's not do any procedures and let's wait until the drops become available. And I'm so excited to be able to do, do this for patients. Um, and I have to tell you that I'm gaining their confidence in me. The, uh, some of my colleagues think I'm crazy. I'm losing surgical, you know, surgical patients. But in my mind, I'm servicing the patient and I'm actually uh, giving them informed consent of what options will be available to them. And I feel fantastic about doing that. I'm sure John can relate to that. I think you and I spoke about it. What are your thoughts, John, on that? Well, you know, I think so far this this conversation has really touched on all the key points. And Netta, you're absolutely right. I think pushing a patient off that is <clears throat> maybe in the early stages of presbyopia and uh, and letting them know what is going to be coming in the future once uh, we hit FDA approval. The drops are very, very compelling. We were also involved in the trial. And it, it's, it's interesting to watch. And as you said, being presbyopic at this point, I think has changed my outlook considerably. Like how, how much am I willing to tolerate this lack of, uh, I guess, volume of vision? And what am I willing to give up with regard to the, uh, the purity of vision? Meaning, would I be willing to sacrifice a little bit of quality to gain that range? And that question is something I ask myself every day. And it's one that I, I ask a patient every day. Getting back to your original comment regarding that LASIK patient, I think we also, I know I have, revisited my LASIK expectations or, or intent on outcome. You know, if it's a 22-year-old uh, low myope, I have I make no make no bones about correcting pure Plano. But if it's a 36-year-old, um, I think it's important to have that conversation ahead of time to say, hey, look, maybe what we should do is consider undercorrecting, which was all in vogue, I think, 15 years ago 
or with some of the other lasers, or, you know, we'd see a little bit of regression and we say, oh, well, that's going to work to your benefit. But I think, you know, avoiding some of those pitfalls and understanding the patient as they're coming into your door is a big deal. Yes, the multifocal or trifocal lenses certainly do work. But as Bobby mentioned, or maybe it was Melissa mentioned, that that drop in contrast um, is something that I still think we haven't completely solved. And so understanding your patient and their needs, that conversation with the patient, I think we spend more chair time with these presbyopes than we do any other group of patients that come in our, in our office. Yeah, and some of it is because the patient themselves don't understand. They don't understand the mechanism behind it. And I think Bobby mentioned this, you know, the myope who says, um, but, you know, I want, I want to correct my vision for the distance. Um, and then you say, well, if we do that, and this is a presbyopic who is also myopic, um, and, and, and that whole conversation around, if we correct you for the distance, then you lose your near is such a difficult discussion to have and to be able to then have another alternative option to give patients depth, depth of perception is, is going to be really exciting and really, uh, a game changer. Melissa, can you comment on this concern around these drops and whether it's going to take on, you know, uh, take a chunk of the market share or is it going to impact um, eye, eye care professionals uh, practice? Um, uh, if you can comment on how you think it, 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 you know, your response to that would be. Definitely. And I think uh, Bobby touched on it. So thank you. But I am so excited to have drops that will help with presbyopia. And I'm actually talking to my patients now about this option. I fit a lot of contact lenses, a lot of multifocal contact lenses. And I think that it's something that could help our contact lens fitting, help the patients enabling them to see better than they ever did before. And same thing for glasses. You know, many patients have multiple pairs of glasses for different things. It could be a general progressive lens. It could be a computer lens. It could be a reading lens, whatever it might be. And having presbyopia drops will help them to see better at, at different distances for their day-to-day lives. So I am incredibly excited about it. And I think that we're going to learn so much over the next few years. And that's why I'm gauging the interest of my patients now to see what they think. I find in for patients who are emerging presbyopes, they are so incredibly excited that there's going to be an option that's coming in the not so distant future. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think I think that flexibility and having different options for different times of the the day or 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 uh, or the week, the days of the week, and how you want to use your eyes. Um, uh, maybe you would use the presbyopia drops on the weekends uh, when you want to have more freedom from glasses. If you're working, on, you know, at the office and you're in front of the computer, it may not be that challenging to wear um, uh, readers, uh, or your it may not be that challenging to use your readers or progressives. Uh, so I think that kind of freedom and flexibility most definitely goes along with what we've become our generation has become used to where we um, want to have flexibility and we want to have options that speak to the demands of our life that's very dynamic from day to day. Um, Bobby and Melissa, we've talked about this already, but um, how will you be changing your exams moving forward? I, you do, You did mention that you already are having proactive conversations with your patients about their vision. Do you think you'll be changing the way you will... Um, 
address patients' visual needs, or will you be giving them different options or have like a whole menu of options? How do you think, do you think it's going to increase your chair time? Yeah, I think, I think for us, like, I don't know, I've been thinking about presbyopic drops for some time. And as we're teaching, um, you know, I kind of think like, at least for us in our practice and being like a LASIK and cataract practice, um, you know, it's almost like presbyopic drops are going to be like a gateway drug. You know, it's going to be like they come in, get LASIK and then use presbyopic drops until you're ready for a lens-based surgery. And that's what I'm really hoping for. Um, I think that it's just interesting. I think about my parents, like two classic examples. Like my mom, you know, she was a hyperope with astigmatism and, and she did, you know, the trifocal lens. And it's been a real blessing to her just being able to like, you know, have the grandkids on her lap and being able to read. And, and that's been great. But she was a plus three hyperope, like easy. Like whatever we gave her, she was going to be happy with. My dad, on the other hand, like, Plano presbyo, like think about police officer wanting to see craters on the moon, like just really difficult. And and we've been talking about doing a lens based surgery for him, but he's he has like really high expectations and really wants like phenomenal distance vision. And so it has, you know, presbyopic drops, you know, if they were available, would be great to give my dad some up close vision. You know, right now he's wearing progressive lenses. And actually, the other day, he was on a ladder and the progressive, like he was looking down, misstepped and actually fell. And thankfully, he's OK, but he hurt his shoulder really bad, couldn't like lift it up and it's getting better. But I just think in, in some of these patients in which maybe a progressive um, is not the best choice, like I, I just really think that we're going to have more options for our patients. And, and again, it's, I think it's going to lead to happier patients overall. I absolutely agree. I think the drops will be uh, much more amenable to a very active lifestyle. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, the depth perception is lost when you're wearing progressives. And as as it was the case with your dad, thankfully, he's okay. Um, But, you know, I think people will be more active, more, they will feel more youthful with the eye drops than they will uh, if they have to wear progressives. Um, You know, my surgeon colleagues, um, uh, Sometimes their attitude towards this has been, well, you know, it's really not going to impact our practice. But I, I think John and I both disagree with that. We think it, it's going to actually, in, in many ways, also expand our practice. Those patients that we would hesitate uh, offering LASIK to, to the 38-year-old who's on the verge of becoming presbyopic, who may be, you know, hyperopic and, and, or slightly myopic, we may have hesitated. We now have this option. I think it's going to make it more comfortable for us to really, truly be able to optimize patients' vision to their needs and not um, let um, presbyopia and that transition point really hinder uh, our enthusiasm. Uh, I also think it's going to help us with our cataract patients who may be hesitant to have multifocal lens implants, but they still want depth perception, but they want that crisp vision and, and, and they can't tolerate monovision, all those things. And all of a sudden, here's another option that can give you that depth perception, that can give you a better ability to read up close. And now our hands are not tied. What do you think of that, John? Do you think that it'll uh, expand our scope of practice and, and be able to make it even more exciting to be uh, an ophthalmic surgeon? No, no, I absolutely agree with you 100%. I wanted, I, but before I get to that, I just want to make one comment. I mean, I think it's rather humbling to hear Bobby describe the challenge of his father, knowing that Bobby works with probably one of the best refractive surgeons in the country, to still think that, you know, in large part, we may not necessarily have a surgical solution. And I think that speaks volumes as to the integrity of his practice to be able to say, hey, look, we do have surgery. I have a great surgeon, but I'm not limited by the skill of the surgeon. It's by the technology 
that we have available. But with that said, drops will certainly expand our ability to treat, maybe not necessarily surgically, but to treat. And we've seen that in other areas of um, at least anterior segment uh, intervention, whether it be um, ocular surface disease, where we now have options where we're really looking to educate ahead of time and manage uh, with relatively minimally invasive interventions, much like also glaucoma. So I, I see this as a practice builder, not something that's going to limit our ability to treat patients or uh, minim minimize our scope. So I completely agree. And it, that we have this opportunity with presbyopia drops that is so great for our patients to provide them really individualized and customized vision. And that vision could be different at different times of the day or different times of the year or for whatever activities they need. But we have the option to give them the best quality of vision that we can, which is really exciting. Well, these are fantastic points. I have to say I'm really humbled to be moderating this session with three colleagues that I uh, admire, um, and, and I have learned more from this session than um, about presbyopia and, and management of it than I could have ever taught myself. Um, and so I really thank you for your time. I thank you for uh, sharing your personal stories, your professional stories with us. I, like you, am very excited about this, and I just can't wait. You know, uh, let's hurry, hurry this up because um, I've been, I have a whole list of patients that I have talked to, uh, uh, to about this. And um, I think uh, let the floodgates open because I'm excited to offer this to patients, as I'm sure you all are, and I hope that our uh, listeners will too. Thank you again, and I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you.